for this time together this morning. We thank you for your precious word. We thank you for the week and thank you for what you've been doing in and through our lives this past week. Lord, for the healing, the comfort, uh, Lord, in the midst of pain. I think about Brother Ed. I think about Vicki. Uh, what a sweet soul. I pray, God, that uh, you just uh, comfort, uh, wrap your loving arms around Brother Ed and just bring him much, much comfort this morning, God. And as to let him know, you know, any one of us, God, all of us together collectively, it's not much longer for any one of us to be in your presence, God. And we are, are going to be in your presence, Lord, especially. We're going to be in your presence whether we know you or don't know you. And, uh, and I just pray that we're ready to meet you face to face. And the only way we can be ready to meet you face to face is to know you as our Savior. That Jesus, that you, uh, you laid your life down on a cross. You were lifted up before all men that they'd be drawn to you. You shed your precious blood, Lord, to forgive us of all of our sins, to cover us in your blood. And when we're covered in your blood, Lord, then we are your children and we know you. And, Lord, in the fruit of that, we see through the repentance that we live and march forward, Lord, following you, Lord Jesus, following your precious word, Lord Jesus, and, Lord, in bearing the fruit, uh, God, of who you are through our branches of our lives. And so, God, we just thank you this morning. Lord, touch all our hearts this morning. Use us. Use me, Lord Jesus, that I would remove myself, Father, Lord, and that you would take a hold of my soul and God just speak through me this morning. I thank you for the guests that are here this morning. I pray that they receive us an uh, extra measure of blessing, Lord, this morning, God, through your word, God, that you just show yourself mighty in their life. Uh, I thank you for those that may be here that don't know you as Savior and Lord of their life, that, Lord, that maybe today that the question would be answered for them, that they would surrender all of their being inside and out. And let the exchange agent come inside and exchange the death of us, Lord, to bring your life inside of us this morning. God, change our hearts, change our lives. Use us for your glory, Lord, this morning. I pray for churches all over, Father, that right now are meeting just as we are. I pray for the power of the Spirit of God to roll down and just to, and to wet each and every one of us and to touch our hearts and minds and souls this morning. We thank you for what you're doing. We thank you for what you're going to do. And we thank you, God, that we have a place called heaven and we can stand in your presence with joy unspeakable and full of glory this morning. And God, and we can say hallelujah this morning because you are the King of kings and Lord of lords over our life. And Lord, I praise you for it all. For it's in Jesus' name, amen and amen. amen. Last week we were talking about the voice of God, you know, that God, that your voice matters. You remember that? talking about how our, all of our voices matter. And this morning before I got out of bed, uh, for some reason, the, uh, uh, just the picture of John the Baptist came to my mind this morning. And I was like, hmm. I said, you know, John the Baptist is kind of, we're kind of like a type of a John the Baptist. You know, where you know, God, you know, spoke into his heart. God had a, uh, uh, God had a specific uh, deal for him, uh, a specific mission for him. And he was to do what? He was in the Old Testament. He was to what? To prepare the way. Right? He was to prepare the way of what? Of the coming king, of the Messiah, Jesus Christ. And when I think about that, I kind of think about, I think about us, that what God does in here, in this room right now, what he does in your life every single day, he is preparing you uh, for the way. He's preparing you uh, to share that light into the wilderness, you know. Where did John Baptist preach? Not in the synagogues. He didn't preach in the synagogues. He, he preached in the synagogue of heaven. 
He preached in the wilderness. He went out there to where the people were. And so Beverly Hills, this Hills campus lives where? In amongst what? The wilderness. And so I see this as a type of John the Baptist where, listen, he sends us out to prepare the way. For what? For the coming of the Lord. To share the light of love. We are not the light. John said, I'm not the light. He says, he says but I, I bear the light. He says, I bear that light. We are light bearers. We go out there and we reflect the light of Jesus Christ into the wilderness. And so the voice, the, the thing about having a voice, we all have a voice. And we, we need to share. We need to open our mouths. We need to speak the truth in love to people. We need to speak the truth of the gospel in the lives of people. We need to share what Jesus did for us 2,000 years ago. I'm telling you, folks, this life is too short not to spend time sharing the love of Christ. People are dying every day without <laughs> Jesus. But there are people dying with Jesus. It's because somebody told them. And so all of us, we sit here, and, and don't let, don't let just sitting here, this isn't a square filler, this isn't a check off a block coming to church, it should never be that. This is a time where you guys gather in, and you want to hear a word from God, you want to hear a word from the Lord, and you want just to hear it, you want to, because listen, why? Because you want to apply it to your life, and you don't, want, you don't want to walk out here and not apply it to those that are out there that need to hear it. Everywhere you go is a divine appointment. Every person you meet, whether it's in the cashier line at Walmart, whether it's at the gas station pumping gas, no matter where you go, pitching horseshoes, doesn't matter. The people next to your lane, David, they need Jesus. I know they do. Uh, people need to see Jesus. You need to be reflecting the light and the love of Jesus Christ, not only with your voice, but also in how you act and how you respond and how you treat others. Amen. And so it's so important for us to do that. And so many times we can get so comfortable, we come into our churches and we sit here, we fill the squares and we sit in Bible studies every week, and that's what we do. We just sit there and we don't share the love and the light of Christ. And we need to share the love and the light of Christ to the world. The world is lost. The world has got no hope because if they don't know Jesus, they have no hope, no light, and no love. And we need to share that love and light with every person, with every person. We need to demonstrate. We need to be like Jesus. That's what we need to be. And Jesus requires us to be that. And so I just pray this morning as we go through here, I want you to think about your personal voice. I want you to think about how you speak. You know, we're going through the book of Acts. And the book of Acts is such a wonderful book. I mean, we've been through it since Easter last year. We're going through it, and we're still marching through. We've got ten more chapters to go, right? And, you know, and that's all right because you know what? Along the way, I don't know about you, but God has shown me some precious things. About our fellowship, he showed us some precious things about things, uh, things that where I need to be and where you need to be and where we all need to be. And where we need to be is under what? The rule and authority of what? Jesus himself. He needs to be leading our life, guiding our life, directing our life, showing us the way, doing the things, finding things, being creative. And listen, don't say I'm not creative. You are creative. You were made by a creator. If God's a creator, listen, he made you a creative being. He, he put his, I mean, you are the image of of God, holy God. And don't think he didn't put some kind of creativity inside of you. He puts creativity in all of us. It's just that sometimes we don't tap into it or we think we don't have it. And we all have it. We've got to unleash it. We've got to let it out. Let God be God in through your life and let him do his perfect work. So I just praise the Lord, you know. I was thinking this morning, I was thinking during the week, Psalm 39.3. Listen to what Psalm 39.3 says. It says, my heart became hot within me. As I mused, the fire burned, and then I spoke with my tongue. 
And why? And then in Luke 24, 32, it says this. It says, listen, dude, did not our hearts burn within us? I think about the guys on the road to Emmaus. So they said to each other, were our hearts ablaze within us when he was talking with us on the road? And what did he do? What did he explain? The scriptures. And so when we go through the book of Acts and we see everything that Jesus taught his disciples to do, then his disciples did what Jesus instructed them to do. And that was to teach the, all the prophets and bring them to light so that the Jews first would come to know that Jesus was the true Messiah. But so many Jews, even to this very day, do not know Jesus as Savior. They won't believe it. I listened to some stuff this week. Jews for Judaism. I was listening to some things about them. And they take all the scriptures, but they eliminate the very scriptures that talk about the Messiah coming and being crucified on the cross and being shed his blood for us. They take the very scriptures out of the Old Testament. They don't even utilize them. They, they talk about sacrifice. That, that, no, we just need to repent and turn and do better. And, and that's what they talk about. And the thing is, they're just missing it. They just want to be in denial, right? They need CR, right? So they need CR. So they need Jesus. But here's the thing is, we are the voice of the one crying in the wilderness, just like John was. We're the voice. You're the voice. I'm the voice. We're all the voice. And we need to share Jesus Christ everywhere we go. And when we don't share him, we need to be modeling Jesus Christ everywhere we go. People should see it in the way that we live, the way that we treat people, the way that we tip people. The way that we treat people. And we need to love on people. Because listen, you only have one opportunity for this. And it's here and now in your short little nothing life. You have a little life. That's why James said life is like a what? A vapor. What is a vapor? What does that mean in the Greek? It means that's your life. That is your little life. And you need to take, and don't just blow a bunch of wind. Blow Jesus out. Let Jesus come out of your mouth. Let Jesus fill the heart of the person, the cashier, punching, but just having a miserable day. They've been standing there for eight hours, wanting some rest. Encourage them this morning. Encourage people wherever you go. Need to do that, you know. He said, didn't our hearts burn within us while we opened it? He opened it us the scriptures. Speaking or hearing. Listen, scripture should be setting your heart aflame. Scripture should set your heart on fire for God. It should fill you. Listen, if it's not setting your heart on fire, then something is wrong internally in your soul. Either you're not spending enough time in it, you're not getting a long time with God. But listen, let the fire of God, let the promises of God rock your world and rock your heart and rock your mind. Let him fill you. Let him, let him, let him, let him man, create that earthquake inside of you where you can't be still and you can't be silent. That's what God will do when you spend a huge amount of times in the Word of God. To know who he is. In Acts 18.9, listen to what he said. This is what I loved last week when we talked about, you know, when Paul left Athens, he went where? To Corinth, right? And he was rejected by the Jews. And what did he do with his clothes? He shook the dust off and said, I'll just go to the Gentiles, right? Because the Jews are not listening. Perfect example. What was he doing there? Well, he was trying to explain the scriptures and the reason with them. That Jesus is the Messiah. The one you're looking for is just kind of hidden where you don't really see it because you're looking for this king to overthrow this Roman emperor and Roman, Roman rule and all this stuff. That's what they were looking for. But Jesus is the king of kings and lord of lords. He just came as a suffering servant for a time. 
And he's trying to explain this and reason with them. So he says in verse 9, then the Lord, see, Paul got so disgusted that he ends up, he's discouraged and he has a night vision. And he says, don't be afraid. See, this scripture is not just for Paul, but it's for all of us in this room right now. It's for all of us right now. He says, don't be afraid, but keep on what? Speaking. And don't be silent. So listen, if you're not silent, what are you doing? You're speaking. He says, don't be silent. Well, if we're not silent, that means that we're speaking. So don't be silent, which means you need to be sharing. Sharing the love and the life of Christ. Sharing it with the people around you. Done. He says, for I, and this is why he says this. He says this to Paul. He says it to us, for I am with you. Do you not experience the presence of Jesus in your heart and in your life today? I pray that you do. You know he's there. You know he's there. And he has you. Uh, he has a destiny for you. He has a mission for you. He has a gift for you. He wants you to exercise and find it and to discover it and to utilize it and, and, to, and to prop him up before all people. That's, his, that's what he wants out of each and every one of us. And he says, I'm with you. He said, and no one, he said, will lay a hand on you to hurt you because I have many people in this city. And Paul did. And we're going to see that today, the many people, of how they didn't even lay a hand on him at this point. Every time he goes somewhere and talks to the Jews, they end up laying a hand and throwing a rock at him or something, right? They end up doing that all the time, right? They do that. So last week, I gave you five things. I gave all of you five things to encourage you, to encourage you. If you have your notes from last week, number one is we speak with a unique voice. You have a unique, you're a unique you. There's no one like you. I challenge you to find somebody that is exactly like you, Adrian, on the face of the globe. There ain't nobody like Adrian, right? Some of you say, praise the Lord. No, I'm just kidding. That's not true. But listen, but no. No, he is a unique. God made him in his God's image. God made Adrian in his image. And, and, and listen, and God wants to take Adrian's life and use it for God's glory. God, God wants you to be speaking his name for his glory and his good. Listen, you're a unique you, Adrian. Don't let nobody tell you. You're, you're special to God. And because you're special to God, guess what? You're special to all of us. And we need to understand that. We need to understand. I don't care, I don't care what our faults and failures are. It's like Philip sitting there with his Bible. Man, you're special to me, bro, to see you sitting there with your Bible open. I'm embarrassing him right now. But anyway, I appreciate it. I don't remember his name because it's my name. So anyway, it's good. But anyway, I appreciate you being here, dude. I mean, this is so awesome. God has, man, you're uniquely you. And God wants to uniquely use you for his glory to, to reap that harvest that's around us every single day, everywhere we go. Everywhere. Number two, he says, we all speak from where we are. We speak from where are you? Where you might be down and you're hurt. And you might be injured. You might be trying to get back. But see, God wants to use Brother Gary and Rosin right where they're at. God wants to use Brother West right where he's at. God wants to use it. Whether it's praying or me talking to people or his friends or whatever. God wants to use Brother Lloyd out in Arizona right where he's at. Why does he go out? I don't know. But God has him out there for some reason. God has him in a hospital for a reason. God has him meeting people and doctors and nurses and all that stuff for a reason. And it's to make much of the glory of God. Amen. Brother Bill Martin, I love Brother Bill. He might be watching this morning. I don't know. But Brother Bill, we love you. We're praying for you this morning. Amen. And God uses Brother Bill and Phyllis in a unique, special way. He's uniquely Bill. Bill Warden is uniquely Bill Warden. Amen. 
Amen. I knew I'd get a big amen out of that one. I love it. I love it. I love it. Yeah. Bill's already finger pointing, right? He, I got your number. But listen, man, there are things that we go through. Number three, we all must speak despite opposition. Listen, you are going to be opposed. How do we know we're going to be opposed? How do we know, church? They're talking about Jesus. So, so if Jesus, was he not opposed? Yeah, they put him on the cross. So listen, it's a given. It's a given when you talk about Jesus. You will be opposed. So why is that a surprise? Why do you shy away from, you don't want to deal with, you know, you don't want to deal with somebody being critical of me because I love Jesus so much. Sometimes we close our mouth because we don't want to offend somebody. We hear that word offensive all the time. If, if, if the disciples closed their mouths because they didn't want to offend people, where would we be today? We wouldn't be in this church. We'd be lost without hope in the world. And we got people out there that need to hear Jesus. And they got to hear it from us. We are extension of the disciples. And God demands us, commands us to go and to make disciples. That's our mission. Any way you size it up. Speak the name of Jesus. Live the life of Jesus. Do it before people. It's so important. And number four, we must speak into the what? The lives of others. That's what I'm talking about. We must never underestimate the power of your words. And I would say to that, think about what you're going to say before you say it. Yeah, if you've got to say it so quick, you might want to kind of back up and say, well, let me think about that before I spray it everywhere. Because <laughs> once the words are gone, what happens? Can you gather them back up? No way. It'd be like if I took a tube of toothpaste and squeezed it out and I said somebody put it back in there. They wouldn't be able to do it, would they? Words are the same way. They hurt and they cut. Speak life to people. Speak building words to people. Lift people up. Never tear them down. I say this because there's times I've tore people down. There's times I've tore my own life down. And I don't need to do that. God convicts my heart about that. It used to be a time where I wouldn't even come back and say I'm sorry. But God has showed me otherwise that I need to come back and say I'm sorry. And mean it. And change my life and ask God to re for forgiveness for that. We all have to do that, men and women alike. No matter who we face. No matter who we may not like that much. They're, maybe they're like a little sour note in our head. You know? You know I used to hear a Pastors say there's some people that come into the church and they're like, you know, they're the people that you don't want to meet, so you jump in a classroom to get out so you don't have to see them. You know, we should never be that way. I know there are people like that. Sometimes that's true. You know? But listen, we shouldn't be like that. Because you know why? Because they matter to God. Yes. It just not might be quite right up here, but you know. But they're but they but but they matter to God. That's why they're here. They matter. And we all matter to the Lord Jesus Christ. Number five, your voice matters because people matter. Listen, I speak, did he not move down here? Why? Because, listen, not only does God matter, but you guys matter. Every one of you guys matter to us. Our hearts, our, we're family. Yes, amen. We're friends, we're family, we're there for one another. And we try to be there for everybody, you know, and we do the best way that we can. And what I love is when the body comes together, the body's interlinked together, it works together. Listen, for God's glory, but also for our good. And we see it each and every day. There are folks outside these walls that you have not met yet. And they need to hear the message that each of you have in your heart.
So I want you to listen to Jesus' words, okay? I already said it once. Then the Lord said to Paul in a night vision, don't be afraid. Don't be afraid. Why are you afraid? Don't be afraid. But keep on speaking and don't be silent. For I am with you. Listen, and no one will lay a hand on you to hurt you because I have many people in this city. And if they did lay a hand on to hurt you, they can't take anything of Jesus away from you. No matter what they do, even taking a life, some of our missionaries lose their life for the name of Jesus. Man, just the eternal weight of glory waits for them, for all of us. Heaven is not that bad, folks. You know? <laughs> when I think about it, right? Turn, turn and, uh, and ask. So, listen to this. So, what I want you to do is allow the Holy Spirit in you to get His Word and your testimony out of you into the lives of everyone around you. Oh, I like that. And that's what I want you to do. That's what we need to be doing. That's, that's, that's our mission. To love God with what? Our heart, Martha. And to love who? Neighbors ourselves. This is what the Hills Camp is about. That's our primary objective here is to love God with all our heart, mind, soul, and strength, and love neighbors, each other, and others that are not even, not even in the in the in the uh, body of Christ with a with a God-sized love. We have to love each other all the time. That's the hard part. Is we got to do it all the time, all the time. Allow the Holy Spirit in you to get the Word and your testimony out of you into the lives of everyone around you. And the hard part is all the time, right? And we've got to do that. We've got to learn to do that. We've got to discipline ourselves to do that. 1 Peter 3.15 says, Always be ready to give a defense for what? To anyone who asks you for the reason of the hope that is in you. We need to be ready. Are you ready to share why Jesus means so much to you? Are you ready to share what Jesus did in your life? So we got to, so I want us to continue following Paul's journey, right? Look at Acts 18. If you're not there already, go to verse 12. Verse 12, and it says, While Gallio was proconsul of Achaia, which is Greece, it says the Jews made a united attack against Paul and brought him to the judge's bench. So are we not surprised that here again, Paul is getting uh, the Jews can't stand Paul. So they bring him to the judge's bench. And what you're seeing in this picture, on the next picture that's up there, look at that. Now I want to tell you something. He's in Corinth, right? That's Corinth. And that is the very place where probably Paul was. And you see the column there? The column is what they would customarily do is is whenever you were going to give your testimony or defense, that column right there is so you would play your, place your hand on it. The Bema seat, there's a little sign back there that you can't see. It says Bema seat. Mm-hmm. Has anybody ever heard the term Bema? Yes. Mm-hmm. Right? That's a place where you and I are going to be when we die, right? And we stand in the presence of, Je- of Jesus. Yeah. And we're going to give an account for what? For our life as a Christian. We are going to be judged. So listen, if, if, you, if you died right now, are you ready to be judged by Jesus right now? If you left right now, are you ready to be judged? You know? And so it's things for us. We need to think about that. But this is the actual place. This is the place that we're reading in this scripture that probably where Paul stood, actually stood. And, and, and Gallio sat on top of that hill, on, on top of that wall back there. And it's kind of funny because in the background, see that mountain back there? 
that back there is the is is where is where the uh, throne of uh, Af- Aphrodite was back there, where I talked about last week with all the priestesses, the prostitutes that would come down in the back. This was an open area. This wasn't like a secluded place. This was open to the public where these guys would do this. It's for all people to see. So as we think about what Paul is doing here, think about that place full of people. Tons of people around. And Paul is brought before Gallio, who's sitting on top of that wall, that very wall right there. And think about this. Think about it. It says in verse, 10, first, uh, verse 13, it said, This man, they said, listen to this, persuades people to worship God contrary to the law. So the Jews are bringing him to Galileo, uh, uh, Galileo uh, to uh, present their case. Paul here is accused of persuading the people to worship in ways that are contrary to the Jewish norms, the Jewish normal ways. And so, and so he's brought there to them. The Jews are saying basically that Christianity is not on the list of approved religions. And this is what they're trying to do. Is to say Christianity has nothing to do with Judaism. They're not on the approved list. Or the state sanctioned religions that are deemed as no threat to the government. And this is what they're trying to do. And they said if not on the list, listen, of sanctioned religions, that would be a bad day for the Christians. That would be a horrible day. Serious repercussions from the government you would incur because this not, Christianity was not a sanctioned thing. The Christians and Paul have been trying to convince through the scripture that Jesus is in fact the completion of everything that Judaism is all about. This is what Paul is trying to do in establishing the synagogues. Listen, my brothers, listen, my Jewish brothers, listen, look at the scriptures, look at the Torah, look what it says in the book of Isaiah, look what it says in the book of Psalms, look what it says in Zechariah, look what it says in Malachi, look what it says in Amos, look what it says in here. It talks about the Messiah who is coming, and he's going to be sent, and I'm here to tell you that he came, and he came to me. So, So listen, the Old Testament is so relevant. This is why I started off with that scripture where Jesus spoke to the Emmaus pair that was traveling down the road to Emmaus. He opened their eyes to the law and the prophets, the Old Testament scripture, so that they would know, hey, I am he, I am the Messiah that was foretold those many years ago. I am he. And when he disappeared, he said, then our hearts burn within us. Our hearts should burn within us this morning to know that Jesus is here. He's in here. He knows us. He knows us by name. The Jews want to know part of this. You see, they reject Jesus the Messiah, and they are still waiting, even to this very day, for the Messiah to show up. The result, however, is that the Christians are hiding under the umbrella of Judaism. So what happens is, we see what happens is that they're hiding under the umbrella of Judaism, and they end up hiding under the umbrella of Judaism for another 10 years. And we'll see that here. Jews are very tired of this and they want to sell it once and for all. So they come to Galileo, proconsul of Greece and Corinth. And so I had a question. Is Christianity and Judaism different? Is it different? Short answer is yes, it is different. To the Jews, it's very different. Very different. They don't see anything that we see in Christianity. So what happens is the Jews are tired of all this because there is a difference between the two religions. 
The Jews want to put this to bed once and for all. So they tattle on the Christians personally, the Apostle Paul, for stirring up this trouble. That's what they went to Galileo for, to stir up trouble, to tattle on him. To tattle on him about why? So they can squash the problem and get back to being Jewish or some normalcy to their eternal detriment. So let's see what happens. Look at verse 14. So this is interesting because it says, As Paul was about to do what? Open his mouth. Look what happens. Gallio said to the Jews, so he interrupted Paul and shut his mouth. <laughs> so Gallio sees right through these Jewish leaders. And look what he says. He says, if it were a matter of crime or a moral evil, it would be reasonable for me to put up with you Jews. <laughs> he says, he's almost anti-Semitic. When you think about it. But if these are questions about words and names in your own law, see to it yourselves. I don't want to be a judge of such things. And what does it say he did? It says, so he drove them from the judge's bench. So Galileo just told these Jewish kids basically to go to their rooms and work it out. Work it out for themselves, right? The, the proconsul says, deal with it because I'm not dealing with it. So, in fact, what happens, this action buys the Christians 10 more years under the umbrella of Judaism. Another question is, why did Galileo make this call? Let me share a little bit about Galileo to you. His dad was a Seneca, Seneca the Elder, or a writer. He was a famous orator, a philosopher. He also had a brother who was a Seneca, Seneca the Younger. Some of you in school may have studied history and heard about Seneca the Younger. He was famous. He was a wealthy, stoic philosopher. The Seneca the Younger was actually, for a time, the right-hand man to Emperor Nero. This is, this is Gallio's brother, the right-hand man to Nero. We all know what Nero did, right? Well, this is also what he did. So Emperor Nero, who had Seneca the Younger and Gallio both murdered in A.D. 65 because he was worried about them overthrowing his little... Uh, that power. Galileo was moving up in the world, <clears throat> only stopping in Corinth for a year. Galileo was there for about a year. Galileo was moving up. Galileo had great character. Galileo was a good, a good friend of the Roman Emperor Claudius. So he had, a, he, had all a, he had a lot of status. He knew and was wise enough to realize those who shed blood over religious preference is a crazy thing. And it is a crazy thing. To shed blood over religious preference. Like Paul expressed earlier from last week, Galileo says, I'm not dealing with this at all. You got to deal with it yourself. So he's kind of like dusting his own clothes off too and said, the blood be on your heads, you know. That's kind of what he's doing. Galileo states that no religion gets to use my state's monopoly on violence on their belief or idea. That's what Galileo is saying. I have a monopoly on violence in this place, in this province, in this country. So Galilee says, we're not touching this one. And Paul's probably going, huh, what? No rocks? No stones? No sticks? You reckon that at that moment, Paul was thinking about his vision that Jesus gave him? I dare say that he was thinking about the vision that Jesus gave him, that nobody would touch him because I have, what, people in this city. How beautiful is that? Listen, God looks out for all of his people. Sometimes he supernaturally 
uh, rescues us, and sometimes we have to go through it. Because we know, because Paul, we know that Paul went through it. We know his life ended not so good. But it really ended very good. Even though his head was cut off, he stood in the presence of Jesus, and I'm sure Jesus welcomed him into his kingdom. Sure. So what happens? Look at verse 17. So then they all see Sosthenes. That's, a, that's an important name. Yeah, you will hear about Sosthenes. You've probably heard about Sosthenes. If you look in 1 Corinthians chapter 1, it, uh, Paul writes to Sosthenes. Sosthenes actually became Paul's secretary. Important figure. And here he is. He was the, he was the leader of the synagogue. We know that Crispus was the leader before. Remember when Paul left last week, went to his neighbor's house, Titius Justice, right? And then his family gets saved. Then we knew Crispus, the leader of the synagogue, leaves, and his family gets saved. And listen, so now we know that Sosthenes, even though he was a leader, look what happened. The Gentiles and the people gathered him when, uh, when Galilee sent him away, and they beat the tar out of Sosthenes. But we know later that what? Sosthenes gets saved. Obviously he gets saved, or he would not be dealing with Paul in 1 Corinthians chapter 1. And it's kind of cool to see how the Bible kind of fits together. It's kind of really a cool thing. So they beat Sosthenes. It was <laughs> kind of sad to see Sosthenes beat. Gallio showed no concern. He showed no concern whatsoever and no government involvement in what was going on there. And Paul lives <laughs> to fight another day, to share another day, to use his voice another day, to rescue people from their sinfulness, to point people to the cross and to Jesus. He lives another day to do that very thing. And it's a very cool thing. Christianity gets to, listen, hang out under the protective umbrella of Judaism for another 10 years. Safe. Remember always, folks, that religion and violence don't ever go well with each other. Religion and violence never go well with each other. Christianity has never been intended to mingle with violence. It's not... Never. Christianity is at its best when it wields no secular power. It stands alone. The love of God stands alone. The love of God is enough. The word of God is enough. The spirit of God is enough. God in you is enough. It should never resort to violence anytime, anywhere. No, never, never. It's always been at its worst, listen to this, when it has the authority of its government. And we're going to see that here with the Jews. I mean, the Jews are experiencing that very thing. When they try to get the government to take charge of their Judaism, to, to, to fill out these punishments and throw out these punishments to these people, Christians, that they despise. Throughout the New Testament, it's only the bad guys who use violence to prop up their bad ideas. That's what we see, and even in history, you see that. And it's only the bad guys who go to the government to have them use violence on their behalf. The bad guys will do that. We see that in our own society today. It is never advocated for Christians to seek violent means to prop up their ideas. Never. We must remember what Jesus had done to Peter. Remember what Jesus had done to Peter in the garden before he was taken prisoner? What did Peter do in the garden? Look, look at John 18, 10 through 11. Look what it says. Then Simon Peter, who had a sword, what did he do? He drew it. He struck the high priest's slave and cut off his right ear. And we know the slave's name was Malchus. And, and verse 11 says, And at that, what did Jesus say to Peter? He says, Sheath your sword. Am I not to drink the cup the Father has given me? And he was, Peter was ready to defend Jesus. 
Even in Matthew 26, 52 through 54, it says, Then Jesus told him, Put your sword back into its place, because all who take up the sword will what? Perish by the sword. Violence has no place in Christianity. Ever. Ever. Jesus said, Do you not think I can call on my Father and he will provide me at once with more than 12 legions of angels? How then would the scriptures be fulfilled? Listen, he's taking these Old Testament scriptures right here in this very saying, saying, how can the scriptures be fulfilled to say it must happen this way? This way. So if you use violence to prop up your religion, listen, you're probably a bad guy. So don't ever do it. People will say for thousands of years that religion is responsible for the violence of the world. Anybody ever hear that? Yeah. All religious wars, religious wars, is religion is the, is the problem. They're like half right. Why? Because religions are not governments. Therefore, they cannot resort to violence, especially without the other half of the equation, the government. We need to think about it. The Jews wanted to do violence, but they had to go and ask the government for permission to do it. Did they not? They did. Their idea, listen, did not win merit on its own. So they needed swords or the governmental authority to prop, up, prop it up on, on, on its own. We must all take violence and force off the table when it comes to discourse and sharing and debating the things of God. And we never use violence or make other people hurt others to make them do what we want. Never, never, never. We must let the truth be truth. Backed up with what? With love and grace. It will then take care of its own business without anyone ever having to lift a finger of violence. God is capable. God is the force that drives us. God is the one that sees us through no matter what. At this moment, I just think about those that stood in the arena in Rome. And they were Christians who were told to deny their faith in Jesus Christ. And they would stand there and not deny their faith in Jesus Christ. And then they would open the cages and come out and tear these believers from limb to limb. What did it take for them to stand there? How many of us would stand there and deny our faith? And, and either deny our faith or, say, or prop up our faith and say, we believe Jesus Christ is the Son of the living God. We're not going to deny it there, Emperor. <laughs> We're not going to say that Jesus is not a say, our Savior. He is our Savior. He is our King. He is our Lord. He is our Master. And then he opens up the gates and they're torn. But what happens to them? They're ushered into the presence of a holy God. Amen. They're in heaven forever. Amen. So listen, we need to, we take a stand. We take a stand. We properly handle the living word of God. It's powerful. The word of God protects us. It rescues and saves all people when it's applied to our very lives. No matter what happens, it's God's word. And it will always prevail no matter what you may see. No matter what you may feel, God's word is God's word and it's true. God's word is powerful and sharper than what? Than any two-edged sword piercing even to the bone and marrow. It's the word of God that fights for all of us. The Word of God fights for all of us. That's why we need to know it. When we live under the protection of the Word, listen, putting on the whole armor of God, Ephesians 6 teaches us that. Ladies, you're learning that, right? It's His Word that shields us. 
It protects us from our enemies, but also helps us to wield the weapon of his word, the sword of the spirit to fight all the enemies of God. That's what his word does. That's why it's so important for us to know it. And we go to Acts 18, look at verse 18. It says, so Paul, having stayed for many days, said goodbye to the brothers who sailed away to Syria. Priscilla and Aquila were with him. And then he does a strange thing. He shaved his head at Sincrae because he had taken a vow. And when they reached Ephesus, he left them there. But he himself entered the synagogue and engaged in discussion with the Jews. Here he goes. There's his format again. Who does he go to first? Jews. Look what happens. And though they asked him to stay for a longer time, which means they were being pretty receptive to what he had to say. But what does Paul do? He does something that I wouldn't think he would do. He said, but he, but he said goodbye. <laughs> he said goodbye. And, and, and you think he would stay, but then he said, he said goodbye. He said, and stated, he says, I'll come back to you again. And I love these words. You need to circle these words in your Bible, if God wills. Yeah. I would circle that if God wills. That speaks to the sovereignty of God. God knows what's going on. God knows what needs to be done. God is in charge of you. God is in charge of me. Whether you think so or not, he's still in charge. He's large and in charge. Always. God is. Always is. And then he sets sail from Ephesus. So Paul leaves with Priscilla and Aquila. He shaves his head at Sancre, possibly taking the only thing I think it was the, the Nazarite vow number six. There was a Nazarite vow. Remember Samson? That they would make a vow, they would let the hair grow long, right? They would let the hair grow long, and then at the time, at the end of the vow, this is what they would do. They would cut the locks of their hair off, and then they would turn it in the temple as a sacrifice offering. Sacrificial offering. And so the only thing I'm thinking of here, and this is say, Luke doesn't confirm it in Acts, but this is what I'm thinking is that that is what this is. There's, there is something going on here uh, for whatever reason, and maybe that's why... Paul had to leave Ephesus and get to Caesarea and then walk up to Jerusalem so that he could do that. Because you have like a 30-day minimum that you do that. And so it's, it's kind of interesting when you see that. So Paul goes to the Jews. They must have received the message because of encouragement, God's sovereignty. And then he sets sail for Caesarea, verse 22. And it says, on landing in Caesarea, which was the coastal city not far from Jerusalem, right? This is where Herod's palace was and all that stuff. This is where they would rule and reign from, outside of Jerusalem. And so, and then and it says, he went up and greeted the church, which means he left Caesarea. Jerusalem is always uphill. From Antioch, from anywhere, it's always uphill. So when you see the word going up, that means they are going uphill uh, to Jerusalem, going up to where the temple was. And then, verse th- and then uh, up and greeted the church and then went down to Antioch, where he started from to end his second missionary journey. And said 23, and after spending some time there, he set out traveling through one place after another in the Galatian territory of Phrygia, strengthening all the disciples. So he goes back to the churches that he established, what? To share his voice with them, to say, hey, listen, I want to check on you, I want to see what you're doing, I want to disciple you, I want to help you in your walk in following the Master Jesus. So listen, your voice matters, it always matters, folks. It really matters for God's purposes when what? One, you are saved and you know Jesus as your Savior being born again. Number one. That's the number one thing. You've got to be saved. In other words, your voice don't mean squat. You've got to be saved. You've got to have the power, the, the infinite holy power of Jesus inside of you. And you can't have that power inside of you unless you know Jesus as Savior. 
Jesus comes in when you're saved. Number two, you're saved, but if you are led by the Holy Spirit of God, which means you've got to be yielded to His power and authority. You've got to yield. You've got to submit. You've got to get underneath. You've got to let go. You've got to say, Jesus, you're in charge because, listen, I'm letting the Holy Spirit guide and direct my life. Every day. This isn't just on Sunday that you get up and come to church. This is Monday when you go to work and somebody gives you a sign that you don't want to see. Right? This is, this is when people tell you off. This is when people don't treat you right. You're his child. You've got to let people know that you're his child. You've got to demonstrate that you're his child. Let the Holy Spirit rule and reign. He will help you through those hard times. Yielded to his power and authority. And now number three, then by answering the call of God, God calls you to answer the call to move forward with the mind of Christ, fulfilling his purpose and plan. Allow him to guide you daily until the end of your life. So my question is, are you saved this morning? Are you led by the Holy Spirit of God this morning? Have you answered his call in your life? Every head bowed and every eye closed. Father, we thank you, Jesus, for your presence in our life. Lord, we all have a voice. Whether we think so or not, we have a voice. We talk, talk to people. And Lord, it's my prayer that all of us would see how important their voice is. By allowing, by allowing Jesus and the Holy Spirit to rule and reign in our life. Our voice is so powerful. And some of my brothers and sisters here, I know, they come in, they do fill the squares sometimes. But I pray that when they leave here, they go out to the mission field and they use that voice and they demonstrate, they demonstrate to the world that Jesus saves and they receive Jesus as Savior. Lord, my heartbeat is right here. <laughs> they gotta get, we have to get to first base and if we're not saved, we never trust Christ as Savior. We can't even begin to be his voice. And so if that, if that, if that is you, if God speaking to your heart right now, that, listen, you're the one. You never trusted Jesus as your Savior. You've never done it. Listen, you can't get on the, on the coattails of your parents. You cannot get into heaven based on what your parents believe. And you can't get to heaven based on what any religion or church tells you. You can only get to heaven based on the blood that was shed on the cross for you. And then you receive that free gift of salvation because he paid the price that you could never pay. You could never clean yourself up. You could never do enough good deeds. You could never do enough of anything. That's why it's called a gift. And it's given to you. Grace, his wife's grace, his undeserved favor, unmerited favor. You cannot do anything to deserve it because we don't deserve. We deserve, we, we deserve separation from a holy God instead of union with a holy God. But God loved you so much, he made the way through Jesus Christ. Believe in Jesus Christ. Trust Jesus as your Savior. Ask him to come into your heart. Ask him to save you from your sin. Listen, I promise you, as I'm standing here as a believer in Jesus Christ, as a pastor, listen, he will come into your heart, he will transform you, and he will redecorate your life from the inside out. And you never have to go back. And when you do that, you're sealed. You're sealed by the blood of the Lamb, the blood of Jesus Christ, who shed it all to cover your sins and to seal you to the day that you leave your last breath and you stand in his presence. Some of you here have never done that. Or if you've done it, you've never exposed that you've done that. Some of you haven't even been baptized yet. That's an expression of the inward change of your life. And if you haven't been baptized, you need to be baptized. 
That's your first response in obedience to salvation is to be baptized. Believer's baptism. So I want to encourage you, if you've never trusted Jesus as your Savior, you can't forget not any time when you said, Jesus, come into my heart. If you've done that, then you're saved. But if you've never done that, I want to encourage you right now. With all your heart, say, Jesus, come into my heart right now. I believe you died for me. Come into my life, Jesus, and save me from my sins. I trust you and your death on the cross for the forgiveness of all my sin. Jesus, come into my life. I trust in you, Jesus. I don't trust nobody else. I trust in what you did on the cross and that you gave it to me as a free gift. And Lord, I come to you with the only faith that I know that I have. I believe that you did that just for me. I ask you, Jesus, to save me this morning. I ask you, Jesus, to save me. And I thank you, Jesus, for coming into my heart this morning. I pray, Lord Jesus, that you would help me, Lord, to turn away from my wrongdoing and to chase after you, Jesus, with all my heart. I want to live for you the best way I know how, by your word, and by your will, by your way, every day of my life. Thank you, Jesus, for saving me this morning. Without anybody looking around, did anybody receive Christ as Savior this morning? If you did, just raise your hand. Let me know. If you received Jesus as your Savior this morning, just signify this. I want to pray with you. I want to encourage you. Amen. Anybody else? Anybody else? Father, I thank you for my Christian brothers and sisters. It's my heart yearns and my heart hurts. Lord, I want them to know that when they go out, that, Lord, that the souls that are around them matter to God. Whether they know you or not, they matter to God. Help us to be a demonstration. Help us, Lord, that we ask for you to forgive us. Forgive me, Jesus, when I don't speak up and say something or, or demonstrate something that would, that would resemble you, Jesus. Help me, God to be forthright, to be concerned for the souls of men and women because once they leave this realm of living, there's no more hope left for them if they don't know you. They'll be eternally separated. So Lord, I pray that right now, God, that you would take me, take all these, forgive us, Jesus, where we fail you. Help us to come clean and to make much of you with our life, with our words, with our actions. Lord, that we would, Lord, fill up your kingdom to see people saved. And Father, I thank you for it all. I thank you for this time together with my brothers and sisters. I thank you for your precious word. Use us for your eternal glory, Lord. I pray in Jesus' name. And all God's people said, Amen. Amen. Now listen, CR, we're going to celebrate CR next Sunday. There's a sign-up sheet. And I want us to celebrate as a family that we are together. And I want to encourage Tom and Sheila. They're, the, they're leading Celebrate Recovery here. They're very excited about it. You're going to see a sign up here in a few minutes. We're going to put it at the corner. It talks about Celebrate Recovery that meets every Monday night from 7.